Hey, hey, this is Yarrow, and welcome to a little bit of an experimental podcast for you today. So this is not following my typical format for Vested Capital. I'm not interviewing a guest. I'm actually uh, inviting three of my closest buddies on to talk about all the topics we do normally cover on Vested Capital. So investing, startups, business, making money. Um, and because two of my guys, friends, actually our fathers, we even have a bit of talking about family as well in this first trial run of a show that we don't have a name for yet either. So we're still talking about what to call this. We're not sure how frequently we're going to do it. We're talking about maybe making it a regular monthly thing. Um, it's certainly something I've been excited to do for a long time because my three friends, Gideon, Nick, and Manny, who all introduced themselves uh, with much more depth at the start of this episode. So if you don't know these three guys, that's fine. You'll, you'll hear a bit more about them at the beginning. And I hope over time you'll learn a lot more about them too as they share. Uh, they've all got amazing skills. I've known these guys for many, many years. Uh, I've been in business with them. I've been in coaching client relationships with them. I've certainly spent many hours talking about all the usual things like um, startup challenges, how you invest your money, all the usual things like real estate, cryptocurrency, uh, stock market trading, pretty much anything that Vested Capital as a podcast has covered, I have talked to these guys about at some point. So no doubt we will also cover these subjects as well. Because this is an experiment, I really would appreciate your feedback. So send me an email. Uh, and send me a question too. These guys are really eager to help all of the listeners and we'd love for you to suggest any topics or ask any questions. You can do that by sending me an email, yarrow, Y-A-R-O, at yarrow.blog or just head to my podcast homepage, my blog homepage. You'll find links to contact me there. Send us your feedback and you can do that on social media too. Leave a comment, leave a reply, leave a question. I will see all of those questions that you drop there and uh, hopefully we can answer some of them on future episodes of this show which i'm not sure what to call yet we're still trying to figure out the name for this it's a little bit like a mastermind so i like that term and i don't necessarily want to call it a mastermind but i've certainly have masterminded with all three of these guys before so let me know what you think please be patient with us too this is an experiment for us as well uh, these guys aren't all regular podcast hosts like myself so they're getting a feel for what it's like to talk on a show they also don't all know each other for years and years individually i know them all for years and years and these guys are certainly aware of each other, but they also have to get used to the flow of a, a four-way podcast, which is a challenge in itself. So we're going to get better. We'd appreciate your feedback, appreciate your questions. And uh, that's it. Let's get going with an introduction to my three good friends, Gideon, Nick, and Manny. Here we go. All right, here I am with uh, three of my closest friends from the worlds of business, internet marketing, uh, Australia, America, guys I've known, well, some of you for many, many years, at least a few years for all of them. So I'd love to introduce you to uh, three of my closest buddies. I've got Nick from Nothing, Manny from well, lots of things, but we're going to go say focusblocks.io for today and Gideon from Splashio. But you may also know Gideon from many, many years uh, working on some projects with me if you're a long-term follower. I invited these guys onto the podcast just we're going to do a test run see if this is something we enjoy doing see if there's something there's an audience for we don't have much of an agenda but i thought it obviously would make sense first of all to introduce a little bit about each of these guys what they're doing now and what they've done in the past so let's start there um nick to nick from nothing i love it no i mean i don't have i suppose a a key personal project that i'm working on like the the last 10 years of, of what i've been focused on has been helping other people build businesses and particularly sort of building startup companies here in the Bay Area. 
So I was sort of very lucky now almost 10 years ago to, to join a company called App Annie when it was Series A and 20 people and it really had the opportunity to, to ride that through to like a late stage startup doing sort of 100 million in revenue. And my role in that was turning, I suppose, a, a very initial product into then leading a good chunk of um, product management. A couple of years ago now, I, I joined a company called Zendrive and sort of trying to repeat the story. So like that's like 80, 90% of my time right there. And I think sort of, yeah, you and I, we, we catch up pretty regularly and chat about everything else that exists in that 10, 20% for me outside of, of like nine to five, um, which is a whole bunch of interesting stuff. It is funny we rarely talk about your actual job, right, Nick? It's mostly the, the, the stuff you do on the side. So, uh, which just for the sake of clarity, what do you do on the side? What do you want to highlight there? I know property is one thing we talk about. Yeah, a lot of my last six months or so has been really diving into the like the world of property investing and trying to understand for me it's like the long term dream of of being sort of financially independent and retired and sort of what's the path to get there. I've I've looked at so many different avenues and, and property has been the one I've been really trying to understand deeply the last six months. I'm not sure my timing's been great because the market seems to be like just blowing up. And yeah, like we catch up pretty regularly on uh, like crypto and and really just I think. Years ago, it would have been called like lifestyle design. I think it's matured since then, but everything that that encompasses. And I remember, yeah, various different fitness programs. And I'm, I'm sort of really pushing pretty hard on fitness right now. So that's also chewing up a pretty big chunk of time. Awesome. And just for, for the side of the property, you, you've already dived in, haven't you? You, you bought a, at least one property I know of, right? Yep. So it's like training wheels and, and sort of dipping toes in and trying to find a way to do it without sort of risking everything. I've got a young family, so that's now another dimension to try and optimize for. But that's that's been really the, the last sort of six months or so is trying to wrap my head around that space. Okay, I'm moving over to Manny. What's the background, Manny? All right, well, I used to be a computer engineer. Never in Bay Area, though, mostly in San Diego and Austin. And I left all of that to start 2,000 books back in 2015. 2,000 books as a book summary portal. It's summaries of the world's best business books and personal development books, mostly for entrepreneurs. And I've been running that business for the last six years now. And just recently, and as I was running the business, I got to read a ton of books in the process, over 1500 books at last count, after which I stopped counting. And what was fun for me was like, I would go into these topics one at a time, deconstruct them, try to figure them out. And one of them was productivity. So I read all of the greatest books on productivity, time management, execution, habits, goal achievement, rituals, routines, anything I could think of. I just basically devoured all of that. And not only that, I summarized those books, created summary packs of those. And then I created multiple courses on productivity, on how to never procrastinate again is one of them. And double your productivity by 5 p.m. tomorrow. That's another one. So I created all these courses, but what I found or what I found myself was at Crossroads earlier this year when I found my girlfriend fighting with me because she felt like I'd never had time for her because I was working crazy hours all the time. And I was working from 6, 7 in the morning till 7 p.m. in the evening when I would come back from office and when I would still be on my computer, my phone. And things would just keep on going like that. And she was like, this is not working. This is not the kind of life I, this is not going to change. This is going to be the rest of your life. I can see this already. So what's going on? And I was like, you know, I think I'm the king of productivity. I, I Like when I work my system, the system I have designed, it works. But then a lot of days I just don't work the system. And hence 
I just fall off the wagon. And I kept on thinking, like, how is it possible? I have probably more knowledge than 99.999% of the world out there when it comes to productivity, but I still can't, you know, I keep doing it and then I fall off the wagon and do it and I fall off the wagon and I do it and I fall off the wagon. And sometimes I do productivity very well. Sometimes I execute the system for a week, sometimes for a few days, sometimes for a month, but then I inevitably fall off the wagon. So that got me thinking, like, why is that? Why does that happen? And I realized every tool out there when it comes to productivity is dependent on one thing, and that is the most fickle resource that we all have, which is your willpower, your self-discipline, your motivation, right? You can know all about productivity. You know you shouldn't have your distractions on when you need to do your best work. You know you should do your most important work first thing in the morning. You know you should work in large chunks of uninterrupted time. All of these things you know, but for some reason, most of us don't do them because it's it requires a lot of willpower and motivation and discipline to do productivity every single hour that way. No matter what productivity sim- system or tool or book I read, everything dependent on everything was dependent on my willpower. I had to grit through it. I had to work hard to make it happen. If I didn't, it just didn't happen. And I was like, okay, I need to outsource this need for willpower and motivation and self-discipline because I just can't keep trying to do it all by myself all the time. It's just impossible. It's a grind that never ends. And that's when Focus Blocks was born, which is basically the idea that instead of me doing the work by myself, how about I get other people with me to join on a live co-working session on Zoom and we have you know, we have a structure to the call. We have a structure to that co-working session every hour on the hour. And we bring people together and we have a structure to the call. The first five minutes get you into the productivity zone. 50 minutes, like you make your commitments, then 50 minutes you do the work. And then five minutes is a debrief. And then it starts all over again. So that just started like a month and a half ago, two months ago, it was an idea. And right now we have over 100 members around the world and we are running at 22 hours a day. 22 hours a day, Monday through Friday. So 22 focus blocks every single day. Pretty soon we'll get to 24. So that's the fun part of this. Yeah, it's that's uh, what I'm. That's what I'm excited it's, about. It's actually it is a great timing to get you talking about this, Manny, and hopefully you know if we continue this as well because it's basically a new startup that like for the entire time I've known you, you've been focusing on 200 books and talking about selling 2,000. Sorry big number 2000 books and you know how to turn that and grow that as a, a kind of a coaching teaching information marketing business and you've you had this idea i remember when you first introduced me to this i thought you i was like so i have to pay a monthly fee just to show up on a zoom call to force myself to work because other people are also on the zoom call but no one's talking on the zoom call and, and i i know we we had a laugh when i said to you i said this is either a really genius idea or it's just going to absolutely go nowhere i think the the jury's still out but everything you're saying is, is sounding very positive now i know though like the, probably my skepticism was this is not something i would do i i would sit down and work and i don't feel i would join a zoom call to force me but you on the other side really benefit from having that shared accountability of other people being there to work at the same time and there's obviously a lot of people like you on the planet who have the same uh kind of uh, need that stimulation so i'm gonna i'm gonna pass on to gideon and just just asking this question as well gideon before we introduce your your background do you need like would you benefit from jumping on a zoom call and having some other people there with you to help you get stuff done 
I'm certainly intrigued by it because I do find that working alone most of the time from home, there's not much accountability. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur now for 14 years and it's just me. You know, if I don't want to work, then I don't work. <laughs> that can happen more often than maybe preferable. Um, so, you know, for productivity. Uh, but that willpower thing is definitely very interesting as well. I found it interesting, Manny, how you said outsourcing willpower in a way. I'm not sure if those are the words you used, but essentially saying, you don't have enough, so you got to get help from somewhere else. So that's a really cool concept. So yeah, I think I, I think I would be. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued, and I think it'd be definitely worth a test to run it and see. Hey, does this help me improve productivity? Because I mean, I guess like from a psychological perspective, what it, what it does, it kicks in the, uh, the social proof kind of thing from Cialdini, right? Where you know, if there's other people sort of, they're not necessarily watching you, but you kind of, you know they're there. You know, you sort of almost, maybe it sort of mimics being in the same room as them. And, and you don't want to be seen as the the odd one out that's not working and that's slacking off, you know. So I can definitely see how that can play some good tricks on your mind to to help you actually do work. I've got a question for you, Manny, though. Like, do with that system, is the accountability just for actually sitting there and doing work or does it give you some accountability for the, for ta- for getting specific tasks done that you want to get done? So the process is that, you know, you join the focus block at whatever hour you decide to join. We have a trained focus guide that will walk you through a simple five-minute process. And the first five minutes are basically devoted to helping you become really focused and also helping, like asking you to make a commitment to what you will work on during this hour, as in what will you accomplish in this hour. So that commitment is noted in that chat or in the communication with the group so that at the end of the hour, when everything is said and done, you can report back and say, okay, this is how much I got done. And that's like constant feedback, constant like commitment and feedback. So it's like it brings a level of intentionality that normally we don't have as entrepreneurs. We just sit down to work. Like, okay, I'm going to do this right now or I'm going to do this right now. But when you are forced to like, identify clearly what you will accomplish in this hour, suddenly it becomes very real for you and you are much more focused on that one thing rather than spreading your energy all over the place. I love it. I love the concept. Definitely going to check it out. Yeah, thank you. Just for those listening, focusblocks.io if you want to check it out. I'm sure we'll we'll give a, a shout out to everyone's projects. Gideon, who are you for those who don't know you? I am Gideon Shalwick, the one and only. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess my story of entrepreneurship starts back about 14 years ago. I had a decent job, you know, got qualified uh, as an electronic engineer, uh, didn't like engineering as much, so I did another degree in engineering management and I uh, enjoyed that more. I worked for about five years in sort of business development and project coordination sort of roles until I came to the realization, I know it took me a long time, but this, you know, sucked <laughs> completely and it wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Certainly didn't give me the freedom that I was looking for. It didn't give me, well, it didn't give me the freedom of uh, financial freedom. It didn't give me freedom of expression, and definitely not freedom of time. You know, I felt like I was in jail, in a way, because I always had to be there at a certain time and leave at a certain time. And it felt like while I was at work, someone else kind of owned my brain. You know, psychologically, because they were paying me to be there. So. They're paying for my brain to be there, basically. <laughs> and um, so I had to use my brain to focus on the tasks that I got paid for. So it felt like kind of like a jail in a way. And 
it just really exhausted me. So after five years, I just said, okay, this is enough. Um, let's, I told my wife, this is, we were back in New Zealand still, and I said, let's just uh, quit our jobs and immigrate to Australia and start fresh and see if I, you know, maybe get a job first and then just to get a landing pad and, and start a business. Long story short, got into Australia eventually. I couldn't find a job. My wife got a job. She was paying the bills. We we came over with pretty much nothing. I think we had ten thousand in savings, ten thousand dollars. Came over with just just our backpacks, basically, with our clothes, and uh, we stayed in a hotel for the first week. But then, and second week, we did find a place, and that nothing. So we got a, we got a um, a blow up mattress for our bed, and while we were sort of waiting to to figure things out and. I remember our first furniture we bought was two um, two uh, bean bags, and we still have those bean bags. They're awesome. So that was our first furniture. And then about a month later, we had some stuff coming on the ship, which included my computer, and um, I don't know, a few little bits and pieces, <laughs> but not much. Uh, but that's how we started. You know, that's about fourteen, maybe almost fifteen years ago now. So it was quite quite the beginning. But anyway, you know, I I didn't really know what I was what I wanted to do. It was um, just kind of thrown in the deep end. And I had no idea, absolutely no idea about business and uh, just um, just started trying things. You know, I went to a, what do you call it, a convention for uh, franchises. And I remember walking through, it was, one of the, it was like one of these big halls in, in Brisbane. I think it was the, maybe it was the convention center, I don't even know. But um, I remember walking past a, a dog washing franchise and looking at them going, hang on, these guys have a franchise for washing dogs. So in other words, they must have had a successful business for washing dogs to be able to turn it into a franchise, right? And they got me thinking, thinking, hey, if these guys can actually have a dog washing franchise, how hard can it be to start a business, you know, and be successful? So and I remember telling my wife something like, hey, um, if I can't make back my salary that I was earning in my previous job, you know, within the first year of being an entrepreneur, then I honestly don't deserve to be paid that much. And it, I mean, <laughs> I was my salary was I think fifty two thousand dollars, which you know was, I thought was a decent amount back then. But anyway, in the first year, I made maybe I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's around about ten thousand bucks, and I spent maybe eleven thousand. So made a, a a loss of negative one thousand, say around about there. And I remember looking at my wife and going, <laughs> "Okay, I didn't make the money back, so I didn't. You know, I was only worth negative thousand, one thousand dollars. I didn't, I didn't really deserve to be paid that much. And it was a wake up call for me because it made me realize, hey, there's there's something to this this game. It's different to being an employee. Uh, you've got to have a different mindset, um, etc. So, so it took me a while to sort of unlearn the employee mindset and to learn how how to think like an entrepreneur. But eventually figured out uh, how to do it. So I did a bunch of projects. I had a bit of success in the first six months where I wrote a book and, and someone promoted it for me. I got distributed to all over the world. But then, you know, right out of sales because I didn't know anything about online business or how to, how to build traffic or how to build a proper business. And then I really kind of struggled just trying to figure things out, did sort of freelancing jobs, um, video production, website development, graphic design, all sorts of stuff in those first two years just to sort of help figure out the game and help pay the bills. I remember doing this, starting this interview series because I thought, hey, um, there's a lot of people here knowing how this game works. Why don't, why don't we just interview them? This is, this is back in 2006, 2007, right about there. I started interviewing people on video. And the idea was that I would ask them questions about success and, and um, learn from them, record it all, and then turn it into like a membership uh, website. 
and um, it all turned out to be way too much work for me. It, it kind of killed me. It killed my computer, my PC back then, and that's how I eventually switched over to to Mac. But it also killed my spirits because it was it was just too big. The, the project was just way too big. So that never saw the the light of day. But one of the people who I met during that interview series was Yarrow Starak, the, <laughs> the host <laughs> of the show. Um, so I met Yarrow and invited them over to come and do an interview at our little apartment. I had a green screen set up and uh, we did the interview. And I remember Yarrow, Yarrow had long hair and it was like it was incredibly hard to key out the background with Yarrow's curly, long hair. It was a nightmare. Anyway, we did it. And um, anyway, that's how our friendship started. And and then we did a project together called uh, Become a Blogger back in the day. That went really well. I got some great results from that. And that was kind of like a, a massive stepping stone for me to to then start building other businesses too. And so today I've got a company called um, Splashio. I've always liked online videos. So I've, I've always been doing that since I've been been an entrepreneur basically. So with Splashio now, we we basically help people get their videos ready for social media. You know, so we people send us their videos, and then we transcribe them, burn the text in as captions, wrap it in a nice frame, add a headline, call to action, progress, a video progress bar, logo animation, whatever, and send them back the video within 24 hours, ready, ready to publish on social media. And by doing that, it helps people get a lot more engagement on their videos, and it just removes that hassle of, uh, of video production completely from the process. And yeah, so I've been doing that now for, well, Splash Show has been around since 2012, but I, I had a bit of a, um, a break from it and, and just got back to it about two and a half years ago. So so this latest version of Splash Show is only about two and a half years ago. And that's that's what I'm doing now. I'm loving it. Awesome. Okay. So we kind of have a brief intro. Uh, I mean, the, to connect the dots, I know all these guys because of some connection to do with entrepreneurship. Nick and I, I don't know if we got connected because of entrepreneurship. I mean, we know we did initially because I went to your event that you were co-hosting uh, with some other friends of ours. But I feel like we connected with like rollerblading first more than business. I don't know, Nick. I remember doing that with you more than anything else uh, back in Australia. But I'd love to talk a little bit with each of you, like what you currently focus on. Because obviously, we could talk forever about our past but what we're working on right now is often what we would talk to each other about i feel like it's useful to often share what we're trying to do where we're getting stuck um, what's working because that then in turn helps each other because i learn what's working what, what you're experimenting with and and I mean, whether it's investing or it's your current business probably both sometimes there's some other topics but let's maybe t- talk about the the active i, I would say business because i know nick you're not currently running your own business we've tried we've tried to get nick to start a company many times all of us well not you manny but i know i have and i know gideon has as well with nick never quite got him over the line to to start something but he's obviously been involved with a lot of companies uh and early on as well so i'm actually going to start this topic by literally talking about what i did today and i think this would probably connect greatly with with you nick because i was spending my entire day doing property management stuff so in in terms of my investment strategy i am very much in many different buckets one of them being property here in montreal where i currently live Um, i actually moved deliberately to montreal to take advantage of the the montreal discount as i call it because property here is about half the price of toronto and vancouver and also half the price of melbourne sydney brisbane where where i'm from originally in australia so i moved Moved here and, and bought a, a triplex and today uh, i've been basically dealing with 
couple of things. Uh, checking out repairs that have occurred due to water damage that hit my investment building and meeting my new tenant for the first time as well. And I think, like, I guess I don't want to really dive too deep into this, but I do want to surface this as a subject because I know probably all of us have thought about property. A lot of the listeners are probably in, in property or, or considered it. And I'm I'm finding it kind of annoying, <laughs> to be absolutely honest. Like it's never been my most favorite way of investing, but there's a part of me that's always sort of a little voice in the back of my head saying, just hold on to the properties no matter how much they challenge you because in 10, 20 years, you're going to be thanking yourself because of how much capital has accrued and how you paid down the loans over time with the rent and so on. Um, but you know, I've had burst pipes. I've had two two roof water leaks. I had you know a tenant leave two months early. So there's been a lot of negatives. And not only that, Montreal is not structured well for property management. There's no like easy external services to have other people manage property for you. So what I'm focusing on right now is actually turning my new tenant into a potential property manager for the building. This is uh, only because he's turned out to be a handyman as well. And because he lives in the building, he could potentially fix it. It's only like an idea I've literally had just after meeting the guys. I don't know how well it's going to work, but I'd love to maybe throw the ball over to you guys and, and what your experiences have been with property as an investment, if you have done any. I can I can I can dive in. So we bought our first investment property in Little Rock in Arkansas last year, um, and that was something that I guess we've been sitting on the sidelines for a little while and trying to find the right starting point. And I think to back it up, even like why property? It's because a lot of the other places that I saw that I we could be investing, I just couldn't find any sort of like strong points of leverage or finding some advantage that I would bring to the situation that I thought was going to be differentiated and long lasting. I looked really sort of deeply into like quite active stock trading. And I tried that for a while and I did no better and actually I did worse <laughs> than just if I'd done nothing. I looked at investing in startups and sort of angel rounds. And that's something obviously that we've talked about in the past. And at the end of the day, it's just like, I'm going to be putting a lot of money into something that I may not see back. And my ability to work out which one's going to be a winner is not much better than anyone else. So why, why do that? And then what got me excited about property is I had a good friend that I used to work with who bought a couple of houses in Little Rock, which is actually where he grew up. So he knew the market. It was at a price point, like a three bedroom, two bathroom house of $125,000, which you can get 80% from the bank. And you can rent it such that it generates positive cash flow immediately. And it's like, okay, wow. So all I need to come up with is $30,000 and we can start. And it's an ecosystem, particularly in, in Little Rock, where for every sort of challenging point and all the things you just mentioned, I haven't experienced yet, but I had a recommendation for a property manager who's been great and they've made it seamless. So, so far, so good. And it was a big change when looking at it compared to the Bay Area, which is where we were at the time, because like the property scene in the Bay Area is, is insane. People show up, they bid 10, 20, 30% over asking, they bring all cash, they waive every contingency. And like that's that's like maybe I'll have that kind of financial profile one day, but that's certainly not where I am today. And I would see my friends like go all in on stuff that just like obviously they were they were excited about it, but it, it looked to me like a really uh, crazy kind of bet. 
And if something went wrong, if they made a bad decision, if the, if the market turned against them, like as it did a little bit last year, like the, there wasn't a lot of backup plans. So that's, that's what really got me excited about some of these other markets around the US where you can bring a lot less money, you can diversify a lot more sort of readily, um, and you can plug in sort of other systems quite affordably. So I remember I was, I was blown away when we bought this investment property. We needed to get some minor repairs done. I got the bill from the property management company and it was like $200 to get a fence repaired. It's like, you can't get anything done in the Bay Area for $200. I don't know what it's like in Montreal, but I, I sort of looked at this and it's just, wait, is, is this like part of the fence? Is there another bill coming? Have you forgot to put your margin on top of this? Have you like already taken my money from somewhere else and you've deducted it against like the full first month's rent and $200 is what I owe in addition. It's, it's like, <laughs> totally. and, it's, it's and like it was, sounds like Ukraine prices to me. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay. I think we can make this work. I, I'm jealous is all I can say so far, Nick, because you've had no problems besides, you know, compared to what I've had. But I think some of that's just luck with the draw of what, what kind of building you get too. I know like we, we're not necessarily all interested in, in property or have done much with property. I'll let Manny and Gideon if you want to share anything with property. But if, if you don't, I think it is fun to talk about like your kind of core investment strategy. And, and Nick, you did a great explanation as to why you've decided to begin this experiment with property. It's something that you felt you could control the variables, you, you liked the numbers involved, and it compared uh, beneficially or compared to the other things you had tried or looked at so far. Manny, what's your story with with, with property or slash investing? Yeah. So investing, by, like when I think of all the money that I put to work, most of it is in passive stock market investments in the sense I don't actively manage anything, kind of like what Nick was alluding to, trying to do it myself. I never had any good success with it. So it's more of index funds and such that the money's sitting in. And the interesting thing is, I think uh, I always thought, or I've always still believed that the only investment other than that I want to make is in my business. So I'm like, whatever I can do, all the money I need, I'm just going to keep pumping into the business. And that's going to be like, instead of diversifying, like I got a diversified safe portfolio that's sitting there, but then now all the risk is on the business side of things. And I'm putting all of my effort, time, energy on business as my biggest investment in terms of me fully vested into it. So I think of my business as the biggest investment in every shape or form. And I feel like I took this kind of rather personally when I was reading Mark Cuban's book. Uh, he talked about the idea that, you know, if you're going to uh, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, they, uh, having a house can be one of the biggest liabilities because it can bog you down, it can slow you down and all those things. And I'm not sure if that was the perfect answer that he, like, that, wa that was there. But just, I just believed in what Mark Cuban was saying at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm just going and I'm just working on my business and nothing else matters. And business is all that I, like, I have, I'm basically... Like if you want to call it barbell, like I have really safe investments, but then I have very risky investment, which is my business, which can go belly up any given day. So that's kind of my strategy. What What's the end game? I know you don't necessarily know it yet, but what is the plan if if you're all in on your business as your kind of strategy for for growing your capital? It, it, what do you? How do you see that playing out? Like what 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 do you want out of that, uh, Manny? What do I? What do I? want out of growing the business in terms of yeah like um, if you're going to put so much time and energy and resources into the business is it 
about one day selling it is it hoping it will just return a lot of cash like what how do you yeah how do you see it playing i mean out? both these businesses are kind of cash flow businesses they aren't really designed for the traditional startup methodology in some ways and uh yeah, I don't really plan on selling any of them. If anything, I feel like Focus Blocks is the future of what's going to happen with with my businesses. In the sense, I I see Focus Blocks as the as the the current like as the way forward for me. And the the current Focus Blocks, which is like one hour, like twenty four hours of accountability and productivity, that's just one piece of the overall productivity puzzle. I see us being able to create a lot of backend products and services and things like that, selling to corporations and really taking it. Uh, I, I want people to never work alone. That's kind of my motto. Like that's what I feel with Focus Blocks, never work alone. And that's the vision I have with Focus Blocks. So no, I have no intention of selling it or even like thinking about, um, you know, getting out of it in any way, shape or form. I just want to grow this damn business as much as I can. And, uh, you know, take it to millions of people if you can do that. Yeah, it's funny, like, um, and we'll throw it to you in a second, Gideon, but I, I I hear you say this. First of all, I love the no one work alone as a phrase that that's so, I guess, applicable now with sort of the work at home uh, lifestyle that we've all been living. It's being at home, but not being alone. If that's something you can help with, that's amazing. But I, like this idea of you have a vision for a company, but let's be honest, man, you didn't have this company two months ago. So it's, it's like talking to you now, it's like, well, you've got so much energy behind this, but this company didn't exist. And your, your energy was sort of more around 2000books.com and what was going on there. But I feel there was a, a connection between this whole concept of you want to make people more productive. So maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of like a combination of a passion for a subject, but also obviously wanting to see a very profitable business be born from whatever you do in that subject yeah the biggest reason why i feel like 2000 books has been like uh, or i've the reason why i focus so much more on focus blocks now compared to 2000 books is because i always felt like 2000 books was so dependent on me i had become the personality i'd become the face never really wanted that but that's what it has been and that's what it always be and I always felt like that was going to be limited in terms of scope, in terms of what we can do with it. Uh, there's a ceiling when I am the one who's delivering value in that business. But with Focus Blocks, I am not delivering any value in the business. I rarely, if ever, do any. I do not. I'm not a focus guide on. Maybe I do two hours a week of being a focus guide. The remaining time is actually other people on our team who do that work, right? The 22 hours a day, someone else doing it. So it's like, this is where it's totally scalable because I don't have to be involved in the day-to-day operations in any way, shape or form. And I have a great operations manager. She takes care of so many of these things that I only focus on marketing and selling the damn thing. And I feel like this is where it's truly scalable while 2000 books was always going to be limited because I had to be the content guy. I had to be the book reader guy. I had to be everything and also be the marketing mind and all those things. So that's why I truly believe in focus blocks. And as you know, I probably created more productivity courses than any other any other areas in business or in in uh, personal development because I've always been a geek about productivity. So this is something like where my passion meets the opportunity and the market is willing to pay for it, kind of like what Good to Great talks about, Jim Collins uh, talks about in the book, right? What's your passion, what the market needs and what, you know, or yeah, what's the passion, what's the market needs and what they're willing to pay for it and what we can be the best at. And I truly feel we could be the best at this whole game of productivity. It's not really all that 
difficult given every day I record testimonials with people, literally, because they come in so fast and furious. Like, I just have to say, hey, are you having a good experience? And they're like, yes. I'm like, all right, let's record a testimonial. It's like every day I get new people and within two days they're like fans. And I'm like, all right, this is way more fire than 2000 books ever feedback. was. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun maybe if we keep doing these sort of regular calls, we can you know, keep track of the numbers as, as times go on. But I feel like as you're saying some of the things about not being the, the face of the company, the brand, it's reminding me of some conversations with you, Gideon, about you not wanting to necessarily always be the face and the brand and, and even struggling with that because you know how powerful having a lead figure as the brand is for your company. And we also have to know what you're focused on right now because we, we, we got to get your side of that that question as well. That's a pretty big question, you know, like this, this, you know, whether you, how you build your business, you know, whether you go down the personal brand sort of path or building a, a brand like a company brand, uh, and and or if maybe do both and how you combine them in the best possible way. And I, I mean, I the exact same sentiments as you, uh, Manny. You know, way, about ten years ago, our first eleven years now, our first um, child was born, a little daughter. Well, she's big, bigger now. You know, I asked myself the question if something – well, back then, I had a business that was fully dependent on my brain again. You know, it was scalable. It was, um, you know, uh, made some good money, very highly profitable. However, um, there's two things I couldn't do with it. One is I couldn't sell it, and uh, two, I couldn't it couldn't run without me. <laughs> you know, so that was a problem. So when my daughter was born, it became a lot more sort of real. It's like well, something happens to me, and you know, what happens to the family? You know, if, if my wife can't work, you know, she's busy looking after a little baby. You know, what what then? And that's when I started Splashier. That's that's uh, very soon. Actually, well, um, <laughs> Nick and I actually we started Flickdesk a bit, little bit before Splashier. It was another it never it never actually saw the day of light that particular one. We had we some had good. We had, we had some really good, good fun with that, and we I remember that 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 big presentation we did. And yeah, I mean, it's like one of the startups that makes that ninety percent that fail. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a brilliant <laughs> and, experience. And the only time um, we ever got Nick to be doing a business too, Gideon, I, I should give you credit. You actually got him that far to starting something. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it was it was a lot were, of fun. I, I can't remember how long we spent on it. Maybe I, somehow I've got six months in my head for you know us working. I remember we did one really big project, and, and probably burnt us out of it but that's maybe another story to talk about but anyway that was that was the first sort of brand branded kind of business that i started and then splashio you know rel- relatively soon after that and um and the idea there was that we that i could build a business that could run independently of me but that i could also sell if i wanted to later on you know to give me that choice not that i necessarily wanted to but i, I wanted to have the choice in case i did get sick of it or in case my life situation changed and i wanted to have that choice so splash has been that um also built another company called vroll um sold my shares in that about two and a half years ago and that's when i jumped back onto splash again and yeah there's still the big question you know, is it still important to have a personal brand and i don't think it's necessary if you've got a company brand but uh, it can be helpful. I think it can definitely be helpful for promotional purposes, for trust building and that sort of thing. But I, I, I really like the idea of having a separate brand, separate from you, that can run independently of you, that can grow independently of you, that you can market and promote and and uh, independently of you, and that you you know definitely sell as well without your face being in it. That's, I think that that's hugely beneficial um, because it can it. it kind of becomes a, a thing in and of itself independent of you and that's great i think there's 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 a lot of value in that 
So yeah, I don't know. Where's the question going? I mean, what are we doing now and investments? Yeah, I, I want to um, sort of come back to this big question of investment. You know, like for me as an entrepreneur, especially like what, especially once you start making money, where do you start investing it? Where do you? Where's the best place to have your money? And like Manny was saying, like, you know, for us in a similar way, we've mainly been investing it right back into the business. You know, it's not like I'm inexperienced necessarily in or, or like I've never thought about investment. Like before I became an entrepreneur, I was actually like a semi-full-time currency trader. Um, so we traded US dollar, Swiss, Swiss franc. I, there were four that we traded. I can't remember um, all the exact details, but it was incredibly intense and it was day trading as well. Right? So I guess you wouldn't call it investment as such, but some of the principles were very similar. So we did more chart technical trading as opposed to fundamental trading, but we did pay attention to the fundamentals as well. So uh, I did that for about two or three years. I did options trading. I started with options trading and started and went into currency trading and basically got really burnt out. I got completely burnt out from currency trading because what I was doing is like I had my full-time job, started at seven, day, 7 o'clock in the morning, would finish at 3 get home, run about four o'clock and have a quick bite or whatever and then start trading or back trading. It's like most of your time goes into back trading with, with uh, technical trading or analysis. Back trading and and maybe putting some positions in at about eight o'clock. And between you have dinner as well in front of the computer. Well, I would have dinner. My wife would bring me dinner. She's amazing. And then basically trade, back trade, chat my my trading partner until about 11 o'clock at night. And I did that for about a year and then then our strategy changed, and it, it meant that I had to get up at um, did that same routine. So 7 o'clock, start in the morning, get home at 4, start trading at about 4.30, 5 o'clock, whatever, and and then until 11 o'clock at night, go to bed. And then for this new thing, I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to close our positions. We couldn't automate it back then. And um, so it was up for about half an hour to an hour. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I need my sleep. And when it gets interrupted, I'm not a not a happy person the next day. Ask my wife for the last eleven years we've had kids, you know, being interrupted from sleep. It's not it's not a good thing for me. I don't handle that well. Anyway, I did that for a month and I was just dead. You know, at the end of that I was just going, Okay, this is this is like it reached the epitome and I was just going, What do I want to do? Do I do I want to be an like a trader? Is that what I want to spend my life on? Do I just want to look at charts all day long and look at numbers going up and down all day long and and kind of get addicted to that thrill of winning and and you know losing money? At, at the end of it, it kind of seemed like gambling to me in a way because at the end of the day, you could never predict what the market was going to do accurately. Like you could you could you could always predict on your back trading. You can go okay according to my back trading. This is, you know, you work out a system, right? And you go, okay, according to this, it should do this to to this sort of percentage. And and what was so interesting about that was that even though on our back trading, our, our results would be like we, we'd find these systems that would just be, we would get you know, like 2,000 return on investment sort of strategies. Like it was crazy. It was just like, you know, from on our back trading. But then we'd implement it and then we'd, we'd lose money. And we go, hang on, what's <laughs> what's wrong here? And then we, we would trace back. We'd go look at all our transactions and go, well, what the heck happened? Why, why, you know, for the last month, we were supposed to make like a 2,000% return on investment. Uh, why did we lose everything? And, uh, or not just lose everything, make it made a loss as well because it was really, really leveraged trades. And, and we came to realize that um, the only simple answer was that it was due to human error. 
every single time. So every single time that we'd lose money or that the trade wouldn't work or the system wouldn't work, it wasn't because of the system, it was because of the human error. You know, like you'd, And you'd think, oh, you just missed this one, it'll be all right, or you just make that little error there and it'll be all right in the long scope of things. After a month or six months, you go, hang on, all those little, like you miss one big trade, it can wipe out your profits for the whole month. You know, so, so, so then I, I, I said, this is, this is just not my game. I realized that that it, it was just not my game. Uh, it wasn't my game for wealth building and for for being happy, and and, and that was part of the reason why you know I became an entrepreneur. I wanted to I wanted to create something. So for my personality, it really makes sense to create, and creating businesses is is is, is fun for me. Like I love the idea of creating a business, like coming up with new designs, new new products, reaching new markets. It's all very creative in, in, you know, in and of itself. And that excites me. That gives me energy. And doing trading and investment sort of stuff doesn't give me uh, energy. It takes my energy away. So so my strategy now really is, well, at, at least shorter term, for, at the beginning days of being an entrepreneur, is to put all my energy, all my assets, all my money, whatever I could, into the business. And to have only one egg in the basket, not to diversify at all. And the reasoning behind that is to give me the best possible chance of success because it's, it's rigged in a way. But it's rigged towards my uh, interests and passions and and natural talents, and also in an area that I'm I'm really knowledgeable in. So, for example, it's it's in the video marketing space. I'm really passionate about that. I love video. It's very creative. It's very visual, um, and there's a lot of people who are interested in it. So it's it's really it's rigged for success. So with me putting all my eggs into one basket, or just one egg in one basket, is I've got a much better much better chance of success. That's my view anyway. And then the longer term vision is that as the business makes money, and this is where we're we are sort of moving into now with our current stage in in, in life, is is you know, as the business becomes really profitable, you know, we can't invest that money fast enough back into the business. So now we got to ask the question, okay, do we just keep that money in the bank <laughs> where it's, it's earning almost, I think it's 1% interest at the moment here in Australia, or do we do something a bit smarter with it? And then the next question is, if we want to do something smarter with it, like either real estate or paper assets or uh, or other businesses, do we do it ourselves? You know, do we take some time out out of our, schedule away from our business and become experts, so to speak, at these other investment vehicles? Or do we find someone else who's already an expert and just get them to to do it for us and, and give them a cut? You know, give them a, you know, pay them a whatever their commissions are or, or whatever whatever that structure is, whatever that deal is. And so so that's sort of the 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 place we're at at the moment. We had some experience in buying a house before and that was the dumbest decision for us as entrepreneurs ever. It took all our capital away. Um, it was just after the financial crisis, 2008, right about there. Um, and then we went, we, it was a terrible house. We lived in the house. So I wouldn't even call it an investment. It wasn't an investment. I, I wouldn't put it under the investment category. It was We bought the house because we were cash rich and we thought, hey, it doesn't matter where you live, et cetera, because we, we work from home. But it was a bad decision. It was a really bad decision. And we lost 60K when we sold that house. It was terrible. And like a year of our lives. It was just just just, just terrible disaster. So, so, you know, I think going forward, it would be, you know, we wouldn't, if we buy a house for us, it wouldn't be for investment necessarily. Uh, but we would certainly be interested in working with someone else to help us with investment properties or investing in some sort of diversified portfolio where with someone else who we trust and who's got a good proven track record of success they do the investments for us. 
And then in the meantime, we keep focusing on our business. We're in a place that we're really good at and build up that asset and that cash flow as much as we can and then keep on reinvesting that cash that we're not using in the business into all these other assets. So that's that's kind of the overall big big picture strategy for us. Oh, I appreciate you guys all diving into like your your kind of investment philosophies. You can see the kind of similarities, especially like Manny and Gideon, you guys are both talking about putting a lot of your energy and almost all of it into your, your companies at the moment. And Gideon, you actually reminded me when you said like with the investing, you know, if you, you miss one day when the market had its big gain or, you know, like I remember Manny, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Tony Robbins. Uh, I, I assume you know everything about every book, Manny, but Tony Robbins' book, uh, Money Master the Game, I think it was. And he was saying like, if you you just leave your money in there. It was like the advice from all the biggest wealth creators. But the risk is there's two or three days in a 10-year period where the biggest gains happen. And if you miss those days, you are actually going to be you know, negative for your results over those 10 years. So you, the trick is just don't touch it. I'd like to kind of throw to Nick here because, uh, Nick, I can't say that you have the same thing with wanting to throw all your energy into your own business and I've always been kind of curious how your motivation works with a job because you've had some fun jobs in the past, but at the same time, you don't, you don't get to control your time quite the same way. And, and I think it's great you're here because you do give, give us an input and there'll probably be a lot of people listening to this who are in jobs and probably you know, think they might be thinking side hustles, they might be thinking leave one day, or they might be just thinking, let's take what I make from my job and, and you know, grow it as much as I can using investment vehicles. So I'd love to know your overall kind of philosophy around where you put your energy, you know, into, and let's call it a career, because that's what you've got, right? All right. So I feel like I have to, I have to even walk this back again and, and, and offer a correction, because like when when we first got together, sort of, I'd, I'd done a couple of my own startups, and it's probably generous to call them startups. Uh, I think sort of Flickdesk with Gideon was the one that was sort of the most formal. But before that, I was running my own business. What, what was that? Just so we can, so we all know, what was Flickdesk? It was Flickdesk. It was a, an online video editing marketplace, and I still think it's a really good idea. And it's actually the way you described Splashio earlier reminds me of some of the early dreams that we had for it, but. We were way too early and the internet infrastructure was just never going to be where it needed to be for that model at that time to work. And I think it's a classic example of good idea, bad timing. But, but before that, sort of, I was, I was running my own business in Australia and I was frustrated with it because I was the one sort of in the same way that Manny described, just like I was the, in the middle of everything. And at the time, I didn't have the, the knowledge or the skills to extract myself from that. So I was sort of doing a bad job at, of, of creating a pipeline of, of new clients. And I would go from that feast to famine cycle and just bounce through that every three months where I'd suddenly win some business and be then super busy to execute against that, not have any time for sort of lead generation and nurturing prospective clients. I'd clear those projects and then I'd be like, great, I'm not getting paid this week. Oh dear, I've got to go and now find more clients. And that was just bouncing around. And I I did that for a few years and I, I got to work on a lot of interesting what, what, what was it? That was a company that I ran called what, what? Digital Digitally Digital Done Different. I think actually it's probably a terrible name looking back on it now. But it was essentially an agency model. I and I and I, I got burned out on it. I was bored. And that was then sort of the trigger for, for trying and exploring different things. And that's ultimately what led me to joining a startup and joining an early stage startup where I had the opportunity to be 
mentored by people who were much sort of more experienced in building a company and structuring a sales and marketing team, structuring a product and a development team, looking at all the various KPIs and metrics and operations that you need to then scale that business out. And it was fantastic. And I, and I learned a lot and it became a very valuable and marketable skill that I was like good at. And it really played to my strengths. Sort of, I'm the, I'm the I suppose, classic generalist role. And I, I like to know a little bit about everything but it's difficult for me to go super deep on one particular topic. And that's essentially what product management as a career is. I think really like the best way to think about product management is it's, it's, it's touching on every area of the business. And the only other person that really gets to do that is the CEO. But you don't carry that stress and that risk and those sort of night terrors of, okay, is this going to work tomorrow? And that's been, that's been really good for me for the last 10 years. So I think when I was um, thinking about sort of investment and sort of like what are my motivations and, and sort of strategies there? I think first of all, it's to do work that's interesting and valuable to the world and to do it with like people I admire and respect and to have that collaboration on a day-to-day -day basis that I think is really hard to get as an entrepreneur. Like the, the, the challenge that I see with focus blocks is, is, is exactly what I sort of experience in my own role now that COVID's happened and we're all remote. And it's like, we don't get that interaction on a day-to-day -day basis in the office. And that's, that's sort of, a really hard thing to replace quickly by then doing your own startup. And now that I have a family and I have a two-year-old, I'm much more, I suppose, considerate of optimizing for the, the long-term like happiness and success of the family unit, not just myself. It's like if, if my wife was not here, if my two-year-old was not here, then it'd be much easier for me to do like, all right, I'm going to go and quit my job and I'm going to go down and do a side hustle because that's what I'm excited about this week. And the price of failure is not too high in that situation. But when sort of you've got a family around you, um, that's my, my thinking on that has changed dramatically in the last sort of two, three years. So true. So true. Kids change everything, don't they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they change the things in like two year olds. <laughs> in, in, a, in a completely different dimension than you never expected. It's like one of the things I think that I've been most conscious of over the last 12 months is, is it like my, my son is wonderful and adorable, but he's energy draining. And like the kinds of things that he can do that are also enjoyable for me are like this big and they don't last for more than about 20 or 30 minutes. Like reading him some books is, is pretty fun for both of us, but everything else he wants to do is not so much fun for me. So boredom creeps in really quickly and then we need to find ways to manage that. And that's been a big part of, of my learning curve there is was working out, well, how do I, how do I leverage my time? more effectively? How can I sort of bring in various services to the home, uh, whether it be like a cleaner or sort of outsourcing various different tasks so that I can devote the, the, the lion's share of my time to my job and I can then still have energy and brain power in the end of the day to like, where do we need to be going as a family and, and setting those goals over the next sort of six, 12 months, five years so that like we're able to live the kind of life that we want in the long term, not just sort of have it as a someday, one day kind of thing. Well, when we retire in 20 years time, hopefully that'll all be in place. I, I'm, I'm much more interested to, to really actively manage that, that quality of life and think about the different tools that we have to our advantage. I think having like a good job gives you a lot of advantages that entrepreneurs often don't have where you can go to a bank and you can ask for a loan and you can buy a house. Um, and, that can be more challenging when you sort of don't have a job and, and you're sort of in the early days of building a company where it's like, well, where's your income and where's your business? And it's like, well, 
I don't have that yet, um, but it's coming. So that's those are the kind of challenges and, and sort of things that I try and apply different strategies to. It's not to say I'll never do a startup, but I think like the, the path for the next few years is probably not that. <laughs> I want to uh, also just mention something here that, that Nick sparked the idea for. Um, as you grow your family, as you, as you start getting more kids, your expenses increase and they increase significantly. It's not like it's just a you know, a few dollars or whatever. Like our expenses have increased significantly since we've started getting children. And I remember a friend of mine saying once, he's quite an influential guy. He had four boys, I think, three or four boys. And he, he made this comment in passing once. Uh, someone said, hey, kids are expensive, right? And he said, yeah, they cost millions. And I thought he was joking because that's before we had kids or just at the beginning. And now looking back at that comment, of quite a few years ago, going oh yeah i can see how that is very true it, it, it's, it's maybe not millions within the first year but you count it all up over a 10 year 20 year period it really is millions you know like it, it, it can be millions depending on you know where you live and, and what what school you send your kids to and especially uh, when you factor you in live. opportunity cost as well of all that energy and that brain space that was consumed because you didn't get a good night's sleep and therefore you weren't <laughs> able to do as good a job as you wanted to the next day and then that adds up over time and, and that's a good the good I've often thought about that Nick and you know thinking has it has it uh, helped my career or is it as it you know detracted from my and career and it changes and, your risk profile which is a lot of money as well, right? Because when your risk profile changes, you are not going to go after the big swings anymore. You're going to play in a little more controlled fashion. I never thought of opportunity cost than children before. That is that is an interesting angle to think about there. Mostly because most people talk about children in such a life-changing way. Uh, and I should clarify, myself and Manny do not have children. Nick and Gideon do. Gideon a little further along with his larger family of slightly older children than Nick. But still, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it'll certainly play a part in all of our decision-making. But yeah, opportunity cost of, of children. Uh, it, it, I'm sure there's some people out there who sit down with a, like a pen and paper and go, I could shoot for the stars with the company or make a baby and and that's a two very different things but they impact each other uh, significantly well i want to say this because i think it's really important you know some from this conversation people might think oh yeah when you have children maybe maybe you have less chance of succeeding and i'm not sure if that's true um i've i think as you get children you become more motivated to do something amazing with your not just with your life but also you know to, to provide for your family that certainly becomes one of your primary drivers but then also there's something else that happens inside of you that goes, I want to do something that that makes a difference. There's certainly an aspect of that that kicks in. And, and maybe it's driven by the survival instinct, you know, to go, hey, I've got kids now. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to work extra hard now or I've got to, I've got to work extra smart now because I don't have much, as much time um, as before. I've got to think more about leverage and I've got to think more about um, how do I build a team so I don't have to do everything myself anymore so I don't burn out so that I can spend more time with the family. So I think all those, like building a family is actually really good for business. And for, yeah, I was going to say, you're making, um, you're making children sound like a focus block. Like you, you, you make the baby and that means you got to work very focused on the time you're not with the baby, right? Well, it, it, I think there's, there's, there's nothing more motivating than when you're starting from scratch and there's a new baby on the way and you don't have a job and you don't have much money to make a success. Like when that baby is coming, you go, I have to do something because they are so dependent. They're one hundred percent dependent on you. They're a little baby. They're completely helpless when they're born, and you know when 
in the first few weeks, the mum, you know, mum can't do much, you know, and if there's, so, so you, I think it's, it's one of the most motivating things in the world to, to make something work when you have that. So that's it. I've certainly been the case, you know, for me, like, I think specifically for our third child that we definitely had that sort of scenario play off very well. We were in a situation where things didn't go according to plan, like we thought, and we kind of had to start from scratch again. And then there was a new baby on the way. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> nice one. So, but that really, that really, you like. You sound like you're not responsible for that, Gideon. <laughs> no, well, it's another story. <laughs> oh, okay. It sharpens your focus. Sharpens your focus and helps you prioritize. <laughs> yeah, totally. You sort of just go, okay, should I go out to this thing or should I go to this event? Is it going to help the business, uh, you know, um, and, and help us become financially independent? And the answer is no. You just go, there's no chance I'm going. If it's not going to be beneficial for, for the goal that you have for your business and for your family, it's just, it just becomes really easy to say no to things. So um, I know we've, we've hit about an hour here and I know we've all got the things to do, children to attend to slash businesses to grow or focus blocks to attend to as well. So I want to be you know cognizant of our timeframes. Let's wrap it up. Obviously, this is an experiment for all of us, uh, experiment for me to put this out in the podcast feed and, and, and for the listeners, see if you guys get any value from it. From my point of view, we obviously have three guys who've succeeded in different things and some overlap as well and obviously you know we're not just talking business as we're talking about fatherhood here as well we're and i am totally interested in, in taking this wherever it goes uh, i think one thing we need is a name i'm going to throw that out to all three of you guys i'd love to give this a name for our, our kind of i'm calling it a sub show on my my podcast Plus topics, so I'm you know throwing this out to the audience and to my co-hosts here. Is we we you know we don't want to be too rambling every episode. It would be great to kind of have some kind of direction. I I, I listen to a lot of other sort of podcasts that it's actually actually becoming like a a thing. There's four guys on a podcast. I'm sure there's four women on a podcast out there too on some shows, but often it's like very news focused. You know, people talking about what is happening right now and whether whether it's technology or business or life or whatever. I'm I'm totally open to taking this wherever it goes but i'd love to get feedback from the audience too so if there's any subjects you guys want us to cover obviously for a lot of you nick manny and gideon might be complete blank slates you only know them to the extent you've heard today so we'll build out your your background story and personalities a bit more too going forward because i think it's um helpful when it comes to coming up with new topics to also feel like you guys can contribute in those areas too i know your strengths some of them anyway um but we'll the audience will get to know them more over time as well anyway i'm just saying all this to convince these guys to keep doing the show with me because obviously this is an experiment for them as well and we can have guests on too we can always throw in that you know bring on some of our other our friends and head down new directions but i'm going to call it a day uh if you guys are all, all good if you want to any last minute things to say before we uh, hit the the end on the recording I'm getting dead silence from these guys, so we're going to call it done. We're going to think about a name. And uh, yeah, good to see you. And thanks all three of you for for joining me. No, thank, thank you for having you. me, Ar. So there you have it, our first ever group podcast without a name as yet. So if you do have any ideas for a name for our show, if you have any feedback, or if you'd like to send us a question, all you have to do is send me an email, yarrow at yarrow.blog, or just leave it as a question or a comment in reply to any of the places I post this podcast to, all my social media, YouTube, my blog, 
Um, and I'd love to hear from you. We're not sure whether we want to keep doing this show or not. We're going to very much base it on whether we're enjoying it and whether you are responding to it as an audience. And hopefully we'll stick to it on some kind of regular schedule. And ideally, we can answer some of the questions and cover some of the topics you would like us to cover if you just give us that feedback. And if you're really brave, send through an audio file with your question and your comment, and I'll play it on the episode for myself and the guys to reply to. Also, if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to the Best at Capital podcast. Just open up whatever app you currently use to listen to podcasts, whether it's on your phone or your computer, and hit that subscribe button so you get all my interviews that I release. And I'm doing quite a few now. I've got lots queued up for the future with some amazing people making money in places like real estate, with poker, with cannabis. Um, so many great stories, even a few billionaire stories coming up from uh, people who have uh, launched startups that have gone on to IPO and be worth uh, over a billion dollars. So unicorn founders as well. If you like that sort of thing, subscribe and also dig into the, the archives. Lots of amazing interviews with some seven, eight and even now nine figure entrepreneurs uh, in my show and spread the word. Really would appreciate it if you're getting value from what I'm doing. Let others know more people listen, the more great people I can get on as guests and do amazing interviews for you. Okay, my name is Yarrow, and I'll talk to you on the very next episode. Bye-bye.